I don't normally do addendums on announcements, but I, I did tell Lisa I was going to get more information about the EMC festival coming up, and I didn't. So I feel like I should supply a little bit. Uh, I've been on the planning committee for this festival for three years in a row, and this is finally the year we're going to be able to do something with the, the festival. It's been used to being called Convention. This is their annual meeting where people across all um, of, of Canada, the EMC churches, gather. It's going to happen right here in the chapel, and, uh, and there are some things that are reserved for delegates. Uh, in the Friday during the day is the ministerial, and Saturday mostly during the day is conference council, uh, but there are a few open sessions, and those are the ones we want to announce to you. On Friday night, the open session is going to be a satirical late night show called the Not So Late Show um, and I have the opportunity to, to host that so if you want to come see me try to host a satirical late night show that'll be one event that you may want to come to um, and the other one is going to be an international market in which they're going to have different booths from different missionaries and people uh, connected with EMC from around the world and they'll have different food and information things that can happen and be visited over and I think that's going to happen in the gym so those two things in particular are going to be wide open to anyone and because this is in our own backyard, just encourage you to think about coming to one or two of those things. The theme for the whole weekend is what's next, healing for the past and vision for the future. So on Friday night and even uh, during the day on Saturday, we're going to be sharing stories of what God has carried us through and where we believe God is carrying us to. And so I think there's a lot to be excited about for that weekend. Um, if you're not on the youth retreat, consider coming. So I should uh, start with an admission I don't go on very many hiking trips, and that's by design, because hiking is terrible. And why would you do that voluntarily? I mean, hiking is what you do when your car breaks down in the country, right? But I have some friends that love hiking for whatever reason. A group of, of, of guy friends from Stonewall that have hiked many different things. They did the Manterio Trail, which I hear is really hard. And so, okay, good. I uh, have a, another good friend, a couple, and, and they together as a couple hiked the West Coast Trail in BC, which is, a, I think, probably the most challenging hike we have available to us in Canada, at least the one that I'm aware of. And I always have the same response to these people. I say, you know that we have cars now, right? I mean, we can get to point A to point B a little bit easier. But I have taken one incredible hiking trip, and that was as a teenager in the middle of the Amazon rainforest, before I knew better. So I also need to apologize, church. We're firmly in this relationship, pastor and church, where you're hearing many of my stories for the second or third or fourth times. And so if you've heard this one before, I apologize in advance, but my mind's not very good. My, my memory, I, I, I forget what I've shared, and so hopefully you've forgotten too. Well, this happened uh, because when I was living in Dallas as a missionary kid, we were in this area that had temporary missionary housing, and then there was another family that came on furlough from Peru and then they moved in for a year and a half, lived on the other side of this duplex. And they had a son the exact same age as me, same grade. We did everything together over the course. We became brothers during that time. So when they moved back on to the mission field, our, my, our parents got together and they, and they both pitched in and then they sent me to Peru on what was really a trip of a lifetime. 14 years old, flew down there by myself, spent time in Lima in that city where they lived, city itself that has over 30 million people, the population of, of Canada in one city. Then I went to Huaraz in the Andes Mountains, went to this mountain village, and that was fun. Then I took a Peruvian airline over the Andes Mountains <laughs> into the jungle in Peru. Now, 
if you've ever been scared of flying <laughs> and watched certain movies, don't take a Peruvian airline over the Andes Mountains, but we made it there just fine. And then there was a, a Wycliffe Ministry Emission Center in Yorinacocha in the middle of the Amazon rainforest. And when I was there, all of the, um, the missionaries and the, their boys decided we should go on a camping trip. And so we did just that. And it was an incredible time. And so I want to share what I'm sharing today uh, through the lens of this journey. Because in order for this to be a success, certain things needed to be in place. I needed to to make sure we knew where we were going, that we had what we needed, to make sure that I didn't die. Because there was plenty of things that could have killed me. But no matter if it's my story that resonates with you or, or your own, I want you to think of a journey as we go through this learning together. It could be another hiking trip or camping trip or canoe trip. It could be a road trip that you took one time or just um, sometime where you had to wait in the airport for hours and hours and hours. We want to need to work through this teaching with a journey in mind. And as we pick up in Luke chapter 24, we realize that Jesus is charging his disciples to go and be witnesses to the world. But he doesn't give them this charge. He doesn't send them on on this journey without being properly prepared in the first place. So we're going to pick up in chapter 24, verses 44 to 49. Many of you, I hear it. It's good. I love that you bring your Bibles and you can follow along. I will also have the passage up on the screen as I read it for you now. Then Jesus said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, Thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Now that we have read together, let us pray together also. Heavenly Father, you are so good. And we we talked about your sovereignty. We sang about your sovereignty, about your goodness to us, and how, God, we just, we need to submit and surrender our will to you, but In one way, God, we want to be obedient to your word. And there is a command in here to be obeyed. And I pray that you would prepare us uh, to hear this well, to understand it well, so that we can put it into action. We want to really invite your spirit here among us to be our guide into the truth that you have for us. And that we would have hearts ready to learn together. We pray and commit this time to you. Amen. So when I was in the middle of the Amazon rainforest, the one thing that I needed, probably more than anything else, was guidance. See, I was a 14-year-old displaced Mennonite living in Texas, somehow plopped right into the middle of the rainforest. And I didn't have the know-how in order to, to keep myself safe or to know where I was going or what needed doing. It couldn't have been up to me. But thankfully, we were going with the missionary men who had lived there for years and knew the ins and the outs of the jungle and their kids who had been pretty much raised in that same situation. And so it, I needed to rely on other people's expertise 
expertise. And so what we did is we packed up everything that we needed. We got into a few vehicles and we drove on this dirt path that was kind of like a road until the road ended at this small village, this cluster of homes. And that was the end of the road. And one of the homes there was, uh, was kind of like a restaurant. They had an extended dining area. So we went in, we paid for some food. And while we were eating our food, then our guides were, our, our, those missionaries went to find someone to hire a boat to take us further up the river than, than the road could go. So we wanted to go even further into the middle of the jungle. And so they hired a boat and this driver. And as we're eating, we can all see on the back deck that our hired driver is drinking like a fish. He is pounding back the beers like there is no tomorrow. And so I was a little concerned. I said, hey, isn't that guy supposed to drive us up river? And the answer I got was, it's a pretty wide river. <laughs> All right, here we go. I will, I will, this, you're the experts. We'll just go with the flow, right? So there we are. We hire this boat. We take it uh, over half an hour up the river. It's not the Amazon River. It's a tributary of it, uh, but it's still in the rainforest. And then they drop us off at this point. But we're still not to where we need to get in order to have a good camping spot. So after we're dropped off, we say three days from now, come get us at this spot. Then we start to go and we hike through the jungle. We stick mostly to the riverbeds because there is a bit of a gap between the river and the dense jungle. And then we're hiking. And then every once in a while, we have to ford the river in order to get to a better place to hike on the other side, not to try to go through the jungle. And what they taught me was, because this wasn't the Amazon, there was no piranhas. Phew. But in this river, there were actually some, there were rays, like stingrays. And if you step on one, it would barb you on the top of your foot with its sting. And then that would ruin your trip. And I said, I agree, that would be pretty bad. So they taught me to shuffle my feet. So you don't pick your feet up, you just shuffle your feet along the sandy bottom. And what that will do is it will hit the side of the ray and then it will move to a better location. But if you step on it, it will sting you. I said, I have a better idea. How about half of you go in front of me, half of you go behind me, and I will stay right in the middle. And then you guys can do all the shuffling you need. I was terrified of what would happen. But I needed to know this ahead of time. It was knowledge that I required in order to stay safe. I needed a good guide. Now, the first thing that Jesus did was to get his disciples ready for this journey with the truth of Scripture, the true guide. And as we read together in verse 45, it says straight out, then Jesus opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. This was the key moment. This needed to happen. Before the disciples could bear witness to anything, they needed to truly understand who Jesus is and what he had done. What he had done. And the scripture was this guide. And to talk about the scripture being a good guide is indeed very scriptural. As David declares in Psalm 119, we know that the Bible is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. God and his word can help guide us to where we need to go, can guide us into right understanding and relationship with him and with others. The Bible is our guide. And we too need to understand truly about Jesus before we can bear witness to him. As we have gone through now, after the resurrection, so much of Jesus' time and energy has been spent opening up the eyes of his followers to understand that this has always been God's plan. Look to the law. Look to the prophets. Understand now truly, completely that I am the Christ, that I am the Son of God, that in me you have now this ability to repent and receive forgiveness of sins. Jesus spent a lot of time here. And this is uh, one example that we have today in our text. He says, Thus it is written that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. 
You might say, okay, well, does this say that anywhere in the Law and the Prophets? And absolutely it does. Jesus is now referring to and teaching from Hosea chapter 6, verses 1 to 2. And the prophet, in the context here, is talking about Israel and Judah now returning to the Lord. And now we understand, through the teaching of Jesus, that second complete fulfillment in him was his resurrection. Let's read together in Hosea chapter 6. Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us, that he may heal us. He has struck us down, and he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up, that we may live before him. Amen. This is Jesus saying, this has always been God's plan. It is now fulfilled truly and completely in me. And the truth about who Jesus is and what he has accomplished was and is and will always be vital. Through Christ alone, we are offered a chance to repent and receive forgiveness of sins. And that is truly what the disciples, the followers of Christ, are being tasked to share about. What their, their journey is to go and be witnesses to Jesus, not just of what he has done or what he was like or what he said and taught, but more to the point that it is through Christ and Christ alone in which you can repent and receive the forgiveness of sins that we all so need. There are a few different words in the New Testament for repentance. And the one used here literally means to change one's mind. You change your mind about Jesus. You change your mind about your relationship with God. Now, this is more than just a one-time decision or a repeat-after-me prayer, even though that can be a moment that really impacts this decision. But it is this continual, ongoing change in the way that we relate and follow God. One definition I found that I really liked said this, that the repentance Jesus is talking about is a comprehensive change of one's orientation toward following God. That I was one way, and then now, because of my faith in Jesus, I am something completely different. And I was living one way, and now I am living completely different. And I used to not have a right relationship with God, but because of this forgiveness of sins, I now have a personal relationship with him. And all of this talk of journey begins with you answering a simple and profound and most important question. Have you changed your mind about Jesus? Have you accepted that forgiveness of sins available to him. That is the beginning, not just of your own faith journey, but also this journey of being a witness to exactly who Jesus is and what he has done in your life. But as Jesus teaches in, in, in giving this good guidance of God's word, he teaches the followers that we need God's help to understand truly. We can't do it on our own because it wasn't the disciples that sat down and looked at the Old Testament and said, wow, we've made sense of it. Now we know who Jesus is. It wasn't through their study. It wasn't through their discernment or their wisdom or even their own personal experience. Up until this point, we, along with Jesus, have been frustrated because the disciples have been given all this information information and they couldn't put the pieces together. They didn't understand truly until Jesus opened their minds. It was an act of God that brought them to true understanding and true belief. It only made sense with God's help. And our own study of scripture also requires the constant help of God. So we don't take this for a self-help talk. You don't go home and just study scripture more or make sure you have the right translation or read all the study notes or take extra good notes in the sermon. You need to have God help you understand God's word. And how we understand the inspiration of scripture matters greatly in this. 
So one of the main beliefs we have here at Stony Brook, all through the EMC, much of evangelical churches, we believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God. And many times when you hear that, you'll think, okay, so the Holy Spirit was, was cooperating and influencing and working with the many human authors at the time where they were writing these things down. And so that made sure that the Bible was inspired. And that is true. And that is part of what inspiration is. But God did not leave his word alone after that point. No, there needed to be this preservation of those texts. And then at some point, the the early church needed to decide. There's so many different writings that we have. We need to know which ones are inspired and which ones are not. And God's spirit was at work as they compiled the word of God. and, and, And he revealed to them what was trustworthy and from him and what was not trustworthy. And then even today, Paul describes God's word as being living and active. And there is no past tense in that description. That means even right now, God's spirit is at work through scripture, changing hearts, minds, and lives. We need God's help in order to understand him. So whenever we sit down to read the word of God, we need to recognize it is capable of changing us and guiding us because the spirit is at work in that moment. And we see evidence of this. I'm sure that if you're someone who's grown up in the church and you've read much of the scripture and you've, you've heard it taught in Sunday school and Sunday morning and done Bible studies, you'll still be able to one day sit down and read a very familiar passage and all of a sudden, boom, something brand new jumps out at you, something you've never thought of before, and it meets you right where you are in that moment, because the Spirit of God is at work illuminating Scripture for you, helping you understand, not here, but in your heart and in your soul. We also know the importance of being able to give a Bible to someone, and the wonder that it is that that someday that person may open up Scripture, and what they read in that moment could change their life forever could be that first step into coming to a saving understanding and faith of God. Because this book is powerful, living and active. Not because of the words on the page, but because God's spirit is at work whenever we sit down and read his word. So the next time you do your devotions and read the Bible, I would encourage you to pray and invite God to open your mind to the truth. Pray and ask for God to be a part of that process because he has promised to do that and that is our true guide in the journey that he is calling us to. Now, once we have a good guide set in place, we've got a roadmap, an itinerary, someone who has the expertise and we're ready to go on our trip, the next thing we need to do is to make sure we have everything that we need. All of our supplies are in place. And in my journey to the Amazon, this was no different. We had many things that you would need on a regular camping trip. So we would have tents and food and sleeping bags and pillows and all of that stuff. But there were a few things that were unique to this trip that I never brought on a, on a hiking trip before. Uh, one was a machete. Uh, everybody that was over 13 had their own machete. It was like a rite of passage for the missionary kids living in Peru. And we needed the machetes. They became an important instrument, even though they looked pretty wicked and intimidating because those moments where we couldn't follow a path along the riverbed or ford the river safely, we needed to hack our way through the jungle. And you could go this far into the jungle without a machete. Ready? That's how far you could go. It was so incredibly dense. And so if you needed to get anywhere or to find anything, you needed to have a machete. It was an important supply. I did not have one. I would not have brought one. So good thing there were others that had what we needed. Now, the last supply that we needed uh, was unique, was, was something that was pretty intimidating. 
Um, <laughs> so here in Manitoba, we have a lot of mosquitoes. And if you've ever seen, we have these little bug zappers. Have you ever had these little bug bite zappers before? Where you get a mosquito bite and it almost looks like a, the end of a barbecue lighter. And there's a little, little thing that zaps your skin right there. And apparently that will help the, stop the spread of the, the mosquito venom. Has anyone ever used one of those before? Or do we all just suck it up? Okay. I've done this before. You can apparently use a zapper to help stop a bug bite. Well, they have something similar like that, but for snake bites. The problem is the zapper is quite a bit bigger. They've got uh, two prongs about this far apart. And when you, when you press that thing, it sends an electrical current in between the two poles, and it hurts like Hades. But apparently, if you're going to go to the middle of nowhere and get bit by a poisonous snake, you need to buy yourself some time because we're not anywhere close to any type of help. So if you have this electrical current, you can slow down the spread of that venom, and it could very well save your life. Now, that's the way this is supposed to be used. But what I heard is that on the previous trip that this group of missionary kids took with their parents, with their fathers, one person, one kid, teenager, thought it'd be a good idea to take this snake bite zapper and go to his sleeping friend and shock him on the ear. Now, this thing not only hurts, it leaves a scorch mark when it's done. So this guy had this black scorch mark on his ear for about two weeks after. And so the end of the story was they all lived peaceably. No, that didn't happen at all. In fact, this guy got up out of his sleeping bag and chased his friend around with a machete. So now they're using all the supplies. <laughs> and I'm like, who am, who am I here with? Like, what in the world am I getting into? But both of these things, the machete and the snake bite zapper, that's probably not the official name, but those were necessary supplies. They were, they were literally, could be the, the difference between life and death in some situations. We needed to have what we needed for the journey. Otherwise, it could have had a tragic end. Likewise, Jesus doesn't send any of his followers on the journey of being witnesses unprepared. He gets them set with the power of the Holy Spirit. This is something they need. It is required. He does not want them to go until they have what they need. The promise comes in verse 48 and 49, where he tells his disciples, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Now, Luke uh, not only wrote the Gospel of Luke, but the book of Acts together. And the very end of Luke and beginning of Acts, there's some overlap between the last instructions of Jesus and his ascension. And if we read a parallel to this passage in Acts 1.8, we know that what he's referring to in Luke is indeed the Holy Spirit. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So he says, I, I promise to send you the Holy Spirit, but stay in this room, <laughs> stay in this city until this promise comes. You will receive power. And the disciples obey the words of Jesus. They stay where they are. They wait patiently. And as we continue to read in Acts, then the Holy Spirit descends upon them like tongues of fire. And it overwhelms them. And it abides in them. And it empowers them. And then they burst from those doors on the day of Pentecost. And they immediately began to bear witness to Jesus. But not a moment before they had the promise and the power of the Holy Spirit. This was a necessary supply. They had it. And then they went, and they didn't have it, and then they waited. 
So as you read through the Acts of the Apostles, not just from the day of Pentecost, but on forward, you realize just how necessary it was to have the power of the Holy Spirit. I mean, to bear witness to Jesus, to to birth this church, to, to have the world turned upside down required supernatural power. And we see this at work. We see miracles and visions and salvations and an entire world being changed in that moment. And yet this Spirit and the power of the Spirit was necessary also for the disciples to endure all of the worst things that came their way as they were imprisoned and stoned and under constant persecution from the same leaders that so wanted to put Jesus to death. It was not just through the good things that happened, but also through the hardest things that the Spirit was necessary for the job and for the trip and for the journey. And the Spirit of God was with them through it all. Now, just as we share in the disciples' call and command to be witnesses to the world, we also share in the promise of the Holy Spirit. This is something that Paul explains well in Ephesians 1.13, a short passage here that reminds us, In Christ, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So Paul proves to us that when the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost and abided with the apostles, it was not limited just to them. Now everybody who truly changes their mind about Jesus accepts that forgiveness of sins available through him, believes in him. Now we too have this promised Holy Spirit sealed in us, empowering us, giving us all that we need to live in the way that God has called us to live. It begins with the truth, and it ends with the empowering of the Holy Spirit. The task of evangelism, what we're really talking about here, sharing with the world, is never a human endeavor. So again, if you want to treat this sermon like a self-help talk, and you say, okay, I need to be a better witness, and you go home, and you try to do all of this on your own, church, you will fail. Just as my trip would have failed without the proper snake bite zappers and machetes, I needed the right supplies. Otherwise, I could have tried as hard as I wanted to try, and it would all have been futile. You need the Holy Spirit, because the work that we're called to is not our work. It is God's work alone. It is God alone who changes the hearts and the lives of people. It is God alone who takes those who are lost And makes them found. It's God's work alone that takes the orphans and gives them a heavenly father. It is God's work alone that takes the hurt and heals them, the sick and heals them. It is God's work alone that takes those who are dead and makes them alive. We can't do any of that. But how wonderful is it that God has asked us to cooperate, to participate, to go on this journey so that we can watch him work and change people forever. And we do need to go. We do need to cooperate. It would have been foolish for me to say no to going on this trip. And believe me, I thought about it many different times. Everyone was getting ready, and this was completely, completely out of my comfort zone. It still is. In fact, I'm surprised that younger Andrew even went on this journey at all. I could have said no, but what sense would it have made? I had all the guidance that I needed. I had all the supplies that I needed. It was a trip of a lifetime, but I needed to go. And when I went, 
my life truly changed on that trip. I mean, there I was tramping through the Amazon rainforest. And, and, and as we were on our way, driving in that boat, winding back and forth on the river, <laughs> going farther and farther away from any civilization, I saw people living in mud huts, not even in villages, just on a hut by the side of the river. And I have this picture I will never forget of somebody who was in this mud hut. They came out and they were hanging their clothes to dry. They washed them in the river. They're hanging them to dry on the line in this hot, bright Amazon sun. And I was like, I can't believe people live like this. Like, this is no longer just a National Geographic documentary. This is, this is me. I, I'm seeing this. This is somebody lives like this. And then we had the opportunity when we made camp, we spent so much time in the river and we would float down the river and I floated so much just basking in the sun that I burnt to an absolute crisp all over. I felt like a rotisserie chicken. I couldn't fall asleep because I was burnt on my stomach and my shoulders and my back. And I was like, that's all I got. I don't know how else to sleep. But wouldn't you know, you can take two and a half steps into the jungle and you will find aloe vera plants. Not aloe vera like bottled and, and sold at Walmart, but we could use the machete, we could chop up that plant, and I would actually take that and rub it on, and it felt fantastic. This was a completely foreign experience for me. And then the thing that really gets me is the stars. I'd sit outside in the middle of the night, in the middle of the jungle, and I would see so many stars. And you know what was really cool? I was in the southern hemisphere just barely. I was seeing stars I had never seen before in my entire life. Never experienced that before. The world got so much bigger. And that was really valuable for me at 14 years old. It was a journey that I needed to go. I needed to go. And the command of Christ that he gives to his followers here is that all of this should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations. He wants his followers to go. We are not given the guidance of scripture. We are not given the power of the spirit to stay at home. So no matter what journey you're thinking along with through this sermon, the whole point is none of it happens. None of it makes sense. None of it comes to fruition until we go. We have to. We must Now, this passage in Luke is a parallel passage of the Great Commission. And we often refer back to Matthew's account when we quote what the Great Commission looks like. And we see this command to go even more strongly in Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. Jesus says to his disciples, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always even to the end of the age. We have to go. It's not a suggestion. It's not a good idea. It's a command of Christ. We are all, as followers of him, commanded to go on this journey to bear witness to others about who he is and what he has done. So how? How then do we go on this journey? How do we bring the good news of Jesus to all the nations? (laughs) Well, just like we were not there with the disciples to touch and feel the hands and feet and the scars of Jesus. We were also not there with the disciples to walk right beside him physically. They were the only ones who had this first-hand account, the first-hand witness of who Jesus was. Now, thankfully, they recorded that for us. But we are all still witness to the change that Jesus has brought in our own life. Every story is a witness to who Jesus is. And so the number one way that you can go on this journey is to be ready and be intentional about sharing your story with other people. 
Just recognize, think, reflect for a moment, how has Jesus changed my life? And then be ready to share that at a moment's notice. Share your story with others. Sometimes you might have an opportunity to get into a deep spiritual discussion. Sometimes you might have only 30 seconds or so. So when we do some evangelism training, one of the things I like to do is say, have your elevator testimony ready. (laughs) We call it an elevator because what if you're in an elevator ride with someone and you only have, you know, three floors to share the good news of Jesus Christ? What do you do? It can be very simple. And I want to encourage you to think about this. And even right now, you can write this down in your bulletin or your notes at the margins of your Bible. You take two describing words about who you were before or apart from Christ. And then you talk about two describing words about who you are after or in Christ. So I've done this. And I would say something like this. There was a time when I was angry and afraid. But now that I am alive in Jesus, I find myself full of courage and peace. Now, I got saved when I was four. This is not really a true before and after. This is more when I find myself walking in the promises of Christ and when I find myself straying from them. But whatever the case may be, what were you before Christ? What are you outside of Christ? And then I met Jesus. And then Jesus changed my life. And now I am these two things. So even now, Even uh, when you go home, two descriptors of who you were before and two descriptors of who you were after. That simple. And you are now bearing witness to who Jesus is. So be ready with your story, but also look for ways to bring it up. We need to go. We need to be active. We need to intentionally look for true and organic opportunities to bring God up. Greg Steer was a youth pastor, someone who did um, training in youth evangelism. And he basically shared, this is his whole theory. He says, in, in almost every conversation we have, there's a fork in the road. And we can choose to bring up spiritual matters, or we can choose to avoid them altogether. So he said, you don't have to go and try to conjure up a situation out of the blue. You don't have to go try to go door to door or talk to someone you've never met before just about Jesus. So you could do those things. He says, but in almost every conversation you have, there will be that fork in the road. So what I'm asking you to do is be brave enough to choose the path that leads to spiritual things. And maybe it leads to a big, a deep discussion, and maybe it doesn't. But choose, choose the path that says, well, at my church, we are doing this. Choose the path that says, I just read this in in my devotional time. Choose the path that shares part of your own story that is humble and is vulnerable and talks about the change Jesus made in your life. Be courageous to bring God up. I'd also say that you can go on this journey and bear witness by praying for those by name who you long to see come to the saving faith and relationship in Jesus Christ. Because church, there is tremendous power in prayer and tremendous power in praying for someone by name. And again, we've acknowledged that this is God's work. And so prayer acknowledges that and says, God, I can't change the mind of my loved one, but you can. God, I can't reach out in the way that needs to happen to this loved one, but you can. So so prayer is this way of just asking, inviting, and even sometimes begging God to intervene in the way that only he can. But it's also a wonderful, constant reminder of us to know that we are burdened for this person or this group of people. It reminds us that we need to make sure that we're looking for opportunities to encourage them and to share with them about who Jesus is. The last thing I would say that you can do to go and to be a witness is to support those who are missionaries in many different areas that we will never reach. 
We are connected to people who are going all over the world, truly to all the nations, to share the gospel of Jesus. I've been very impressed for a long time. You guys have adopted Dallas and Tara Weeb as your missionaries, and, and you've been with them as they've done their work in Guadalajara, and they've planted a church there, and now they are now in the process of transitioning back to Canada. Also, based on the surplus that we had through your generous giving last year, we were able to give a one-time gift to Antonio and Esther Pita. And what the Pitas are, are doing, they're in the, in preparing right now to go to southern Spain and to reach out to Muslim people with the good news in southern Spain. So maybe this is something we want to continue to work with. But whether it's as a church or whether it's individually, we are called to be witnesses ourselves. But we can also support through prayer and through giving those who are truly going to all the nations in accordance with God's command here that we read together today. But no matter where you are, we are all called to go, go, go and be witnesses to who Jesus is and what he has done in your life. As the music team comes back up, I want to I share just the last conclusion we can draw from this. Just a reminder. If you're keeping track in your notes in the bulletin, I thought it was quite clever. We, were, we talked about being ready, set, go. Anyone else pick that up? I thought it was pretty clever. Thanks, guys. Here we go. You're like, that was really dumb. But what are we here? This is to help you remind, this is to remind you, to remind me. What are we doing? We are ready when we're armed with the truth of Scripture. The Bible is our guide, and we need it, and we need to know it, and that comes from a gift from God. We are set with the power of the Spirit. We don't go on this journey. We don't take one step out that door before we have that abiding power within us because he will supply all that we need, and then we go to all the nations, which means that no matter where God sends you, no matter who you are talking with, you are a witness to who Jesus is. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you. I thank you that you came to do all that needed to be done in accordance with the law and the prophets. That you came to, to live and to teach and to model what it means to, to live a godly life. But ultimately, you came to die, to pay the penalty for our sins. And so that in you, we truly have access and in you alone have that ability to be forgiven. So God, I pray that we would first be a group of people here that it asks ourselves, have we accepted this forgiveness? Are we living as forgiven people in right relationship with God? But Christ, I also thank you so much that you did not just offer us that sacrifice of your death, but you also triumphed in victory over death to life itself. And so in you, we have this hope of, of not just forgiveness, but of life eternal. And I pray that we would look at our lives and understand just how much you have transformed who we are so that we can share that same hope of forgiveness and life to all those that are in our path, whom we love and whom you love. We pray this in your name. Amen.